Comments made on the Sarah Talk podcast are those of the individuals and do not represent Sarah Tech. Comments made on the Sarah Talk podcast are those of the individuals and do not represent Sarah Tech Corporation. Comments made on the Sarah Talk podcast are those of the individuals and do not represent. Comments made on the Sarah Talk podcast network are those of the individuals and do not represent Sarah Tech Corporation, its staff, management, board of directors, or third-party resellers. Welcome to the Sarah Talk podcast, your portal to the accessible digital lifestyle. www.sarotalk.com. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Cero Talk Podcast. Cero Talk Podcast. Welcome to the Cero Talk Podcast, your portal to the accessible digital lifestyle. www.cerotalk.com. A production of Serotech Corporation, makers of System Access, the System Access mobile network, and SA to Go. Learn about new technology, cool software, useful websites, education, information, entertainment, user comments, and much more. Catch up on the latest in technology news. Hear interviews with makers of your favorite products. Meet the mailbag and much more. Sponsored by Saratech, makers of System Access, SamNet, and SA to Go. And now, here's your host, Michael Loff. This is Michael Loff. Jamie Paul. I'm Jamie Paul. Joe Steinkamp. And I'm Joe Steinkamp. Lisa Salinger. I'm Lisa Salinger. And I'm Joe Buddy. I mean, Buddy Steinkamp. I mean, who? I'm Katie Frederick. I'm Lane Amaro. Ricky Ying. Okay, yeah, me. Bringing you the best in mainstream and assistive technology developments, news, and analysis. This is the Serotalk Podcast, a service of Serotech Corporation, makers of accessibility anywhere, iBlink Radio, and Remote Incident Manager. Visit us online at www.serotech.com. And now, here's your host, Joe Orozco. 228 episodes, countless interviews, product reviews, and on-site coverage of exhibit halls around the country. It's, of course, the Serotalk Podcast a show that became the leader in assistive and mainstream technology news. Good evening, I'm Joe Orozco, and today we bring you a behind-the-scenes look at the history, the mechanics, and more importantly, the people responsible for making the podcast what it became. And tonight, we're not talking about the hosts, although we have a great deal of respect and gratitude for the people who spent a significant amount of time compiling stories and recording and re-recording. We're turning our attention to the people who spent many more hours Developing the sound you ultimately enjoyed. I have here Patrick Verdu. Good evening. Derek Lane. What up? And Hope Pavenmeyer. Hello. And each of you guys have played different kinds of roles. Uh, Hope, you are the newest to the team as the content director. Patrick and Derek have come in at different points. So let's start with you, Patrick, because you actually came in first. Out I did, of the, yes. The three of you guys. Yeah, so... Zero Talk started in November, actually. It was November 13th, 2008, with uh, Michael Loth. But um, how did you come on board? What happened was I got a call from Mike Calvo, or I think it was originally an email that turned into a phone call in April of 2010. And basically what he said was, we're not particularly happy with the way production is going right now. We don't really like the sound. We want someone from the outside to come in and say, hey, what can we do to make this better? And uh, I reviewed some of the podcasts, and what I decided was that basically everything needed to be dumped. They were using single track for everything, so if someone you know made a <clears throat> you know clear a throat in the middle of a sentence, uh, there wasn't re- yeah, there wasn't really. Excuse me. <laughs> well, there was there was no practical way to really edit around that stuff. So I said, well. Let's turn this entire production thing over. Let's record in a multi-track environment. This makes production easier. It makes it better 
listening, you can clean things up a lot nicer, et cetera, et cetera. And it pretty much snowballed from there. Okay. I think the first podcast I did was podcast 54, which came out in November of 2010. So there was quite a bit of time between the first contact with Mike and then later I was in contact with Joe Steinkamp. And uh, between that time, nothing much happened. But uh, the first podcast that I actually produced for Sarah Talk was uh, 54. So let's take a step back here for a second. What got you into audio? What made you Patrick Perdue? I have always been interested in uh, audio type things from an early age, playing with cassette tapes and doing the thing that a lot of people did where you have two decks and you bounce things back and forth for a fake, uh, you know, sing with yourself, but it's not multi-track experience and it gets worse and worse with every bounce. And eventually it gets to the point where you can't actually understand anything because you have 30 different uh, tape generations of stupid stuff. And, you know, it eventually progressed to in 1997 when I got my first Windows computer. Of course, the first thing I was interested in was, hey, this thing has a sound card. You can record stuff and edit things. And, of course, I wanted to learn how that was done. I'd heard people editing things, some primitive, some a little more professional. I'm like, yeah, this is something I want to learn about. So that's kind of where it all started. Of course, people recognize your work now from Blind Bargains as well. Mm -hmm. But you also do some mainstream projects. Tell us a little about that. As far as production, I haven't really done a lot in the mainstream. I've done more consulting. I recently had a pretty interesting experience doing a job with a museum in Canada where I designed an audio distribution system for described services. They wanted to have a description for their exhibits. And they wanted to be able to do things in a way that would not interfere with the PA in the room. So you could plug in a set of headphones, press a button and have description, press a button and not have description over those same headphones, but at the same time, not affect what other people in the room hear, that sort of thing. I have done little bits and pieces for radio stations that probably no one has heard of, mostly in Europe. But Overall, I've uh, not really done too much in that area just yet. If you had to pick a favorite moment over the past several years, which is kind of an ironic question because you and I have spoken offline and Mm -hmm. both mutually agree that we weren't podcast listeners. And so... Yeah, I spent too much time editing them. Right. And so having said that, though, is there a moment that stands out for you with SPN? Well, I would say off the top of my head, one of the first uh, things that comes to mind, and it's kind of a love-hate relationship thing for me because, uh, of course, Ricky and Joe produced a show, End of Line, for quite a while. And anybody will tell you, sometimes those things got a little bit long, sometimes they got a little bit rambly, but one of the things that I really enjoyed about that particular show was I got to do some production work that I normally wouldn't have the opportunity in just the, you know, regular Sarah Talks or uh, that Android show or whatever I was doing at the time, got to actually flex a little bit and have some fun. And uh, I think overall, probably my favorite two episodes from that would have been the April Fool's show we did in 2013. And uh, I believe it was episode six of End of Line where they were highlighting the Terminator. And one of the things I wanted to do was they said, hey, we want an intro where Ricky Inger, who was playing Sarah Connor, we want to replace Sarah Connor's voice in the movie with Ricky Inger. And I'm like, okay, I can do this. Um, I got the DVD and I actually demuxed the tracks so that I could literally take the center channel out where the vocals were. And I literally was able to mix in the first part of Terminator without the vocals 
Three billion human lives ended on August 29, 1997. The survivors of the nuclear fire called the war Judgment Day. They lived only to face a new nightmare, the war against the machines. Dude, 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 run over there, over there, over there into that burned out customer. Oh my god! Whoa. And this is the podcast you invited me on? And if you line it up with the movie, it'll be dead on with the first uh, opening scene. And that's kind of, you know, that's just kind of an interesting thing to do. And it worked out. The computer which controlled the machines, Skynet, sent two Terminators back through time. Their mission? To destroy the leader of the human resistance. John Connor, my son. The first Terminator was programmed to strike at me in the year 1984, before John was born. It failed. The second was set to strike at John himself when he was still a child. As before, the Resistance was able to send a lone warrior a protector for John. It's just a question of which one of them would reach him first. Awesome. And I want to get into the technical piece of it here in a moment, but Derek comes into the picture not too long after, right? It was about a year after I showed up, wasn't it? Yeah. The summer of 2011, I had actually started talking to Mike. And he was interested in me because of a couple of mashups, or the one mashup that I posted to the Reaper list, for those who don't know, Reaper is a multi-track digital audio workstation, or DAW for short, that will let you do all the fancy things with audio, that will let you have the multiple copies of you, that will let you bring in all these different sound sources from all kinds of places and do fun stuff with them and then turn it all into one thing that's you know pliable at the end of the day. And it has a bridge, several at this point really, which allows it to be accessible. And I was really excited about it. I was one of the first people to see this thing jump on its early stage of sort of development in terms of the bridging goes when it was primitive at best and just fall in love with it. And so I would show anybody that would listen, hey, you can make Reaper do this or you can do this or you can add this effect and change this and you can, you know, change the speed of something without changing its pitch or change the key something is in and preserve its timing or whatever. And I posted a mashup of a hip-hop instrumental with an acapella of a Lionel Richie vocal to the list where I had just also armed a couple MIDI tracks and played some keyboard stuff over it just as a concept demo. It wasn't anything particularly amazing. It was just something I did because I could. It was there. I, I the even remember it. It had, a, it had a couple of bad loop points in it, too. It had an amazingly, <laughs> epically bad loop point in it. Yes, it was It was bad. I could probably fix it if I still have the project, but I don't think I will. All these years later. Yeah, it's doable. But um, it was enough to make Mike say, hey, that's really cool because <laughs> if you've talked to Mike, you know the kind of music he likes. He, he has his love for sampled things and drum and bass and, and all this stuff. He gets in those moods. And so he actually thought the bad loop point was an awesome creative thing, and I disagreed, but whatever. Thanks for <laughs> telling me. Um, so we talked, and he wanted to know how I did it, and he actually uh, had me teach him some stuff about Reaper a little bit. And I said I'd like to do some training. But quite frankly, I 
do not have the marketing ambition to do the legwork. I can either do the marketing and the promotion or I can do the stuff. So let's expand Saratech. It's doing its Samnet thing and that's great and it's got system access and that's awesome. It's got these podcasts that are taking off and that's neat too, but let's stretch it out. Let's give it some training. And if you will do the marketing and provide the infrastructure, then I'll do audio training stuff. And I didn't really hear from him after that point. And I'm like, okay, well, that's such as life. But he called me later and he said, well, we can't really do the training thing right now, but we're expanding our podcast into just more than one podcast. We're going to start a whole network of these things and they're going to cover all kinds of different stuff. And we want your involvement. So they sent me to NFB in 2011. I actually did some interviews there just as a test run because I wanted to see how I'd do there. And then they liked it. And when SPN was announced, Joe called me and he said um, that they were going to do an Apple podcast called Triple Click Home. And that was my first multi-track podcast editing experience. And that was October 2011, I think? It was. Yeah. Yep. So Derek, same question to you, taking a step backward, what got you into audio engineering? What got me into audio engineering was my fascination with how certain things worked. Why in studios, how do they make certain things sound the way they do? What's a recording studio going to be like? What's this like? How do they do that? You know, and of course that went along with the music, of course, thing, you know, Mom and dad wanted me to learn how to play piano because they saw I was messing around. They wanted me to take lessons. And my motivation for learning the piano was to be a musician so I could have a recording studio and I could play with stuff. And then I learned later that, no, the musicians play the music and the engineers do the playing with the cool toys. So I didn't want to be a musician anymore. I wanted to be an audio engineer <laughs> once I learned that I didn't have to learn how to play the piano to get a recording studio. I went through that too. <laughs> I, I didn't mention that earlier, but yeah. So, you know, it's all good. Okay. That's not the prereq. Yay. Different skill set. Cool. So I started playing with stuff. You know, what happens? I can't get the echo effect. But if I go in this room and I talk, well, there it is. So if I put this recorder here in this room and I talk on the opposite side of the room, I can get the effect, you know, and put together little dramas and different things like that. And I just kept messing with stuff. And in 97, when my first Windows-based computer came on the scene, it also had a sound card and... I found that even in its most basic form, Sound Recorder could do stuff that it would take forever to try to make work with tape. You could punch in and out, and it wouldn't make any noises, and you could move stuff around, and it wouldn't click if you did it right. And on what? So one thing that I actually don't know, uh, so I'm very curious, how did the two of you meet, and how did you create what would become PD Audio? That's actually kind of an interesting story. We were both on a list at the time. It was the PC Audio list, which I believe at that point was being run by Jonathan Mosen. This is in 2000. And um, at that time, I was known for some things that I'd rather forget these days, but uh, the net will never forget. It's just unfortunate. So I might as well just make noises about it now. When I was a young man, teenager person, I was fascinated with making deck talk sing. I made a couple of things. People liked them. They got spread everywhere. Suddenly, I was very um, well-known for such things. And uh, when you're 15 and it's the summer and school's not in session and things are broken because you're too broke to actually afford to buy new stuff, you do what you can. And that's where that stemmed from. And in 2000, 
I don't quite remember how it happened. Derek might remember better, but we, we were both on the PC audio list. I had said something. I think I had a website that wasn't working. That's what you it was. You did. Audioman.triad or dot whatever com oh, thing man. it was. Yeah, so I had built a website and it had lots of broken links. And Derek saw this thing and said, this looks cool, except like nothing works. I want to know what you actually have up here. And, then... and by the way, I like buttons and knobs. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I believe he'd said that to me as well. And I'm like, oh, yeah, buttons and knobs, they're great. And eventually, I think this was in the, not quite summer, this was like in May of 2000. And uh, we started talking. We uh, Does anybody remember, what was that thing? Lipstream. Lipstream. It was a voice chat program. Yep. Off audio tips. Whatever audio you tips. Went to, we were using, went. yes. And that was the first method because this is back when we were still living, we were both living in the same state, two hours apart, but that was long distance, man. That was expensive, mm-hmm. even in 2000. So a little bit later, we uh, met on what was audio tips at the time, and uh, we started talking, found a bunch of common ground, and uh, we met pretty soon after that, and... Before that, there was an entire bad series of stuff. I'll uh, let Derek say stuff about that. That really kind of got things going. Oh, the You're Screwed series? The You're Screwed series. Oh, God. That's what it was called. And it was basically based on... It's kind of the I'm better than you, but not, and I know it, factor of life. He, He had stuff that I wanted. I had stuff that he wanted. We just made these little things, sent them back and forth, and... uh, People heard it, and they liked it, and... I'm like, well, we should do a website. Because this is also around the time when uh, Jim Snowbarger with the Snowman Radio Broadcast, that was like, that was our go-to. Big influence for us, yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, his stuff was kind of epic, especially for the time. Well, actually, in all fairness, it holds up. It really does hold up. And that says a lot. When somebody can do something 15, 16 years ago, and it still sounds great, and it's still pertinent, because he didn't do anything to make it timely. Well, there are some things that definitely make it dated. Oh, yeah. But there's but a great. difference There's a difference in being dated and being relevant. Yeah, and timely and yeah. so on. But the fact is, oh, man, I, I need a vocoder, and I need this, and I want one of these, but we can do this kind of, sort of stuff in software and sort of sound like this, mm-hmm. and we need to, like, show people, and we need a website. Well, let's see. Hmm. How are we going to do this? Because Derek and Patrick, Patrick and Derek, well, let's see. DP, well, that's cool because that's me. And, and it's, it's actually, a cool processor. Actually, my initials. Know. Mm-hmm. So it kind of worked out both ways. And it's a cool and sonic effects processor, the DP4. That's, that's going to work too. PD, that's paid. Maybe we'll get good enough to be that one day. That's yeah, let's do PD Braille audio. Those who don't know. <laughs> yep. Paid. Mm-hmm. So well, let's have PD audio. And so pdaudio.net had stuff on it for a while and then it doesn't right now but it really should again well before it was pdaudio.net we had actually uh, a free website for a while because um oh who was it jeff harris had uh, offered us a free place to store our stuff so we had for a while we had pdaudio.hookedonthe.net it was hooked on the dot net slash hooked on the dot net, that's what it was um, i was going through battle tapes the other day and uh yeah i think at one point he was gonna make it pdaudio.thing but it never happened but anyway that's that's how the website started, and eventually we got our own domain and actually had stuff for a while, as he said. And Derek, I'll ask you the same question. What would be the moment that stands out for you? The moment that stands out for me, honestly, are making some of the extras. The material that I dealt with was mainly the sort of regurgitation of news. That isn't a bad thing, because the presenters had their spin on it, and... 
people enjoyed that. But the reality is there isn't a lot of ways you can kind of make the regurgitation of news big and flashy and interesting. It takes a lot of team effort and a lot of creativity and randomness to do that. And so the moments where somebody would say something that would just sort of inspire creativity were kind of awesome. And, you know, projects where I could involve other people and just sort of be on a team and see stuff come together, that was kind of awesome as well. So making different people sing over the years, which didn't otherwise, or, you know, adding effects to sort of recreate a scene, you know, of happening. Like there was, um, I turned Alina into a GPS one time. Alina drove them all off the bridge. uh, Yep, uh, because there was a story about how, like, the Apple GPS would... uh, accidentally led somebody off a bridge one time so you know i turned alina into the gps voice by putting her through some effects and got the car driving and splashing into the water you know and um just different little things through the years that were fun like that if the the stupid machine tells you to turn and you're like i don't really think that that's safe how about you don't Okay. How about? Really? Okay, so that's something else that I've been Use saying for head. years we, and years do, and years. Do we, do we remember the case like several months ago where Google Maps told someone to drive off the end of a pier into the water and they're like, oh, I don't think this is the right way, but that's the way the GPS told me to go. Oh, oh, oh. oh dear God. I'll tell you though, guys, uh, I have a friend with an, uh, an Android and he's got the basic turn by turn GPS on his Android and Apple's is better. It tells you street names and what direction you're turning more than just. Turning 500 feet. That's great. What? Where am I going? Don't be silly. Look at the map. Have you ever heard the uh, voice it uses too? It's terrible. I don't even know what TTS that is. Oh, yeah. On Android, it's terrible. But the TTS on the Braille and speak was better. Yeah, right. (laughs) We can see that there are two alpinistas over by the water cooler. (laughs) (laughs) One has noticed that they are also wearing the same colors that day. A battle ensues. You should have called me. Now we look like twins. This is stupid. One has thrown down her coffee cup in anger. I've been here longer than you. I deserve to wear whatever I want. The other cows avoids her eyes and walks away. Fine. Whatever. The battle won. The major alphanista returns to her game of Farmville. And that's how it's done, people. Audio description described by Sarotech. (laughs) (laughs) Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah, pretty much. We should probably not quit our day. Oh, wait, this is our day Mm, job. Yeah, yeah, moving quickly onward. We talk about link bait all the time, and this next article is a perfect example of that. Uh, What iPad mini owners hate about the iPad mini. When you read the article, it's what basically all tablet owners dislike about their various tablets. Yeah, but they really did stretch in this article. But everybody kind of saw a downturn. Nook didn't sell as well as they thought they were going to sell. Amazon put their fires on sale. So there, there may be a little bit more to that. But in the long run, like we talked about, you know, people are going to buy these things at some point or another if the price point stays the way it is or if features get better. Well, we've come here today to recognize and eulogize the netbook. Yay, we do remember you little boxes of joy when you worked correctly or when you actually decided not to overheat while sitting in my lap. Yes, netbook, 
You have done your duty. You have done your job. And now you are commencely exiled to the landfill in Arizona next to one million E.T. Atari cartridges. Throw thy roses on the tiny casket of the netbook as it is lowered into the ground. Shed not a tear, for in a million years, this too may become a parking lot and have use again of the netbook. So saith Acer, who killed the netbook this week, along with uh, another company who, golly, I didn't know there were two companies that still made these things. The rumors, of course, are that uh, the reason why these, you know, are going away is that uh, tablets sell a lot more. Well, okay, right. But also mm-hmm. the Ultrabook. Well, one thing you better give up, and you better do it sooner rather than later, is Windows XP. Give it up for Lent, friends. Hey, give it up hey, for Jeff? Lent. <laughs> it's it's me, XP. C- can I come in? Come in, my friend. Rest at ease. Your work is done. You've had your fun. And now it's time to... I'm not going to say lie in the sun. I'm not going to do that. No. Because <laughs> death is not usually so corny. No. <laughs> or punny. Punny is better. Punny is nicer. And uh, let's see what we have here next in the mailbag. Oh, look. It's an eye report from Dominique about drones. Yo, what's up, guys? It's Dominique from Texas. And uh, you, Jamie, you said... How would we know that the package has arrived and where would it land? Because I was thinking of that prior to you actually saying that on the recording. So I was like, you know, I'm sitting, you know, in a house waiting for something to happen. And what if just so happens a bag of chips or who knows what is supposed to arrive? I was thinking about this and I think that to warn you that it's coming in for a landing or that your package is there or whatever, these drones actually just, they need to play music like the ice cream truck does. And so you just hear it descending. <laughs> the Doppler effect as it's coming in. Or yeah. Absolutely. Well, coming up in our last segment, we have a short audio drama presented by Ricky and Joe entitled Taking It to the Next Level. I, I'm really glad you joined me here tonight. I, I, I just want you to know the last couple of weeks, it's just been stunning. I've learned so much about you. I feel like I know you so well. I've been looking forward to this all evening. I feel like we really connect on a deep spiritual level. And I've never felt this way with anybody else before. I mean, we've even had our first argument about ranch and blue cheese, but we got past that. We were able to communicate in a way that I've never done before with anyone else. Exactly, and and, and you know, I've given you, uh, you know, this key to my apartment and, and, and this promise ring, and and I really feel like we're we're growing closer, and, and I, I just really can't be happier. I agree. You've, it's it's such an indication of trust and closeness. It just couldn't be better. I think I think we're ready for the next thing. I really do. Really? I, I do. I think I think 
I think we should share our passwords. Whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, I have to go now, and I need to wash my hair, and I'm going to be busy but for the next, um... You, 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 uh, yeah, you're, uh, um, uh, I'm uh, leaving did, now. Did I say something? Uh, Don't oh. call me. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, so, <laughs> Jamie, you want to explain the, uh, the idea behind our little melodrama here? Uh, 33% of teens would not have given the answer that Ricky gave. Black people got to rock. So, you know, that's why we get the rocking chairs. Black people got to rock. I like the rocking chairs. Put a little bit in the dot. I don't like the rocking chairs. I'm a fan. Black people got to rock. Everybody sing it now. <laughs> Sorry. No more. I won't do it anymore. I promise. Who dropped? Joe did. Uh oh. There he is. Ah, Joe's back. Okay, so I'm recording again, and I don't know why that happened, but it did. You've all right. Very... All I did was alt tab team talk back up, and it died. Well, you've been That's very choppy really almost all night. You've been very choppy. Thank goodness that uh, Derek's recording. Okay. And me too. AT&T keeps going down, going down, going down. <laughs> AT&T keeps going down all night long. New ringtone. All right. What do you think of this? AT&T keeps going down, going down, going down. AT&T keeps going down all night long. Hey there, welcome to Grandma's Diner. What can I get for you? I'll have a bagel and a glass of juice, please. Oh, honey, are you sure? Grandma? Them bagels been sitting back there for four weeks. I can't even remember when the juice come in, but I reckon it don't rightly matter if you ain't too choosy. Ah, uh, no. Bring me what that couple over there's having. They look mighty happy and their waitress done bring them seconds. Now that there is a good idea. Oh yeah? That's our SPN special. You don't say. The news is as fresh as Grandma's warm sticky buns. She makes them fresh every morning, you know. And just like our coffee, it's piping hot and pretty near endless. Yep, I'll have that. Coming right up. There ain't no talkback beta, because it is in public release. Diddle dee dee. There ain't no talkback beta. There ain't no talkback beta. There ain't no talkback beta, because it is in public release. Diddle dee dee. Nope, but I would like some uh, coverage of the ACB convention and a large orange drink, please. Sir, I'm sorry, sir. We don't sell coverage. Mm-hmm. Unless you mean gravy. No. You can cover stuff with gravy. Would you like to try some of our gravy today, sir? No, but you said KFC. I need SPN. They've got the best 2012 ACB national convention coverage there is. So, uh, thanks anyway, but I'm good. What's more fun than hanging out at the public pool? Uh, dropping your iPhone in the pool? Uh, no. It's convention coverage of the 2012 NFB National Convention on the Talk Podcast Network. Get your phone out of the pool, please. Thank you.
Wait, it still freaking works. Hey guys, it's Derek. Just thought I'd drop in to say that <laughs> I have to admit to being a bad person and being very behind on listening to Sarah talk, but I'm, I'm catching up. I just finished episode 100, in fact, in which Jamie and Lisa said that they weren't fans of old-time radio at all. Being one myself, this, of course, uh, saddened me greatly. So I decided to do something about it. I decided to uh, make things such that they would find the uh, sound of um, OTR programming more tolerable by changing the way that Triple Click Home is distributed. And what that essentially boils down to is that Triple Click Home will now only be available exclusively on uh, record, pre-worn for your convenience. Which means that Triple Click Home will sound a little something like this. Oops, hang on. I'm just the front of the room. I'm Peter Bosley, and joining me, we have Buddy Brandon. Hello. And, of course, everybody's favorite, Alina Roberts. Thank you. No pressure. No pressure. So, shall we jump right into it? Absolutely. So there you go. So the best thing to do at this point would be to send your uh, contact information to resources at saratalk.com so that uh, your copy of Triple Click Home can be mailed to you monthly as soon as it's released. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Here's where we wait for Joe. 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 Here's where we wait for Joe's where we wait for Here's where we wait for Joe's where we wait for Here's where we wait for Joe The big highlights though were when we actually got to go and, and meet people. Which he did a little more than I did. I mean these are the conventions and conventions. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to talk about that here in a moment. Derek, you also teach audio fundamentals through Cisco Vision, mm -hmm. which brings me to Hope Pollenmeyer, who is a graduate of that course, right? Yes, actually. And so you are the newest member to the production staff, in addition to your work in content. So tell us a little bit about you, how you got into it, and um, in the short amount of time that you've had with us, you know, what your moment has been. I used to do a podcast way back in the day called the Audio Mirror Podcast. And a couple of those were featured on the Blind Cool Tech Podcast a couple of episodes. And that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that. I've always enjoyed sort of putting things together, making things fun. And Derek, I guess, thought that I would be good enough to be a part of content for Saratech. And so in January of this year, I officially started as co-content director. I think my favorite moment, though, so far, being here was... Triple Click episode number 36, I believe it was. And the story was, we were basically talking about, as you do, Mac and Windows. And 
there was a little thing at the end. Uh, John Panarese is he's a trainer for uh, his website's Mac for the Blind, and he trains people Mac and iOS things. And so, just in jest, I said, "Well, yes, John is all about those Macs." And at the end of that, there's a little Easter egg that Derek and I produced. I did the vocals, and Derek kind of did the fine editing and the rest of it. And it's basically just a little spoof on the Megan Trainer all about those Macs thing. And I don't know. I just thought that was a lot of fun bass. to be able to. Bass? Yeah, that too. <laughs> all about that bass. <laughs> well, right. depending on what Mac you're using, it, it all works That's out. That's true. But, yeah. Because you know he's all about those Macs, about those Macs, no windows. He's all about those Macs, about those Macs, no windows. He's all about those Macs, about those Macs, no windows. He's all about those Macs, about those Macs. Mac, Mac, Mac. No. It's all very interesting how it all comes together because for the host, it's you get on Team Talk, you know, which is what we primarily use here. And you talk and you try to sound intelligent, but it's taking that raw audio and adding music and mixing it all up and speaking for Sarah Talk, which is the only thing that I'm familiar with. You know, it, it was myself and two co-hosts, but this is all happening on multi-track. So even something as simple, though, as a promotional spot, you know, you take uh, Bill Kosiaba, for example, you take a raw audio that might sound something like this. Coming to you directly from the training facilities of the Kosiaba Research Clinic, where knowledge is power and inactivity is the enemy. Ultimately to something that sounds like this. Real world fitness. Great guests, great information, and your health, fitness, and nutrition questions answered. Coming to you directly from the training facilities of the Kosiaba Research Clinic, where knowledge is power and inactivity is the enemy. It's Real World Fitness, coming to you every week here on SPN. And so I kind of want to pick your brains a little bit, the three of you. First of all, you know, people are always curious. What does your home office, or home studio rather, look like? What do you have? Patrick, let's start with you. Well, I've got a little bedroom. Uh, actually, it's a pretty big, small bedroom. It's long and narrow in a second-story apartment, and uh, essentially... My studio arrangement doesn't have a desk, and people might think that's a little bit strange, but that's how it is. I have, uh, basically, I've got a keyboard stand where I sit, because, you know, I also try to be a musician sometimes, and uh, sometimes I'm successful at it. I actually did make the, uh, actually, two triple-click home themes. Those are mine. See? I'm cool. But <laughs> anyway, next to the keyboard stands, and I have four keyboards on one stand, I have a rack of equipment. Man, if let me let me just count this. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, like thirteen pieces ah, of equipment ah, ah. in this rack, yes. And so the computer I keep pretty far away from everything. So that means there are cables going everywhere. The computer's about fifteen feet away from the equipment and the microphone, so it doesn't make a lot of noise. I've got wireless keyboards, sit here and just kind of do my thing. And um generally it it works out. The problem I have here in living in New York City, I actually, for the majority of my time producing for Serotalk, I lived in North Carolina. It was fairly quiet in Greensboro. And now I live in uh, a small beach community, which is in uh, New York City. So big problem I have here is uh, airplanes, lots and lots of airplanes. I live very close to JFK. So if I'm actually recording something here, I have to be very careful about when and where I actually record. Nope, I don't have a big, nice, acoustically treated 
professional studio. I just have a room that works and I can usually get things done. And there's actually a lot of cheating involved. I think Derek can attest to that. I cheat in a similar way because it's kind of amazing, really, if you think about it, how people can get these images. And it's like, no, it's just two guys doing what they do. It's a dedicated room on the back of my place. I'm from the South. I live in a trailer. (laughs) But I like my trailer, though. It's, like I said, got the studio on the back. It's very quiet as I live out in the country. But, of course, you know, it being a studio, I, I had to acoustically treat the studio. You know, that had to happen. So, of course, I did what every home studio person does and made the mistake of putting as much foam as I could. Foam everywhere. Yeah! But the price I paid there was that I have the radio station effect where all the highs are tame, but the lower mids are sort of... That's okay because you don't have like I do. Yeah, so we both have to cheat in our own little ways. But um, I've got a keyboard stand. It's got two keyboards on it, sometimes three, um, depending on what I'm doing. I have the console, and then I have enough rack mount equipment where I really should have a rack, but I don't. I have a bookshelf that has most of it on there, but I have enough because of my audio restoration work that isn't rack mountable where I don't really know if I could make a comfortable work area that would have the rack plus the board plus the audio stuff that isn't rack mountable. And I will say that it's really awesome to have a machinist in the family. I got my rack for, I got a 25 space rack for basically 60 bucks. So otherwise I probably wouldn't have one either. That's the studio on the left is the keyboard stand with the keyboards. The the, uh, computer is under it. To the right, there's a desk with a turntable and a couple of record cleaning brushes and things on it. And there's the board and there's the bookshelf with the miscellaneous stuff on it. And then uh, another turntable with some other record implements of non-destruction sitting next to it. Now, before we go to Hope, I am curious as our resident field guy, you know, the one who's done most of the interviews on the convention floor, what kind of equipment do you use there? It depends on what year you ask me, like what my current setup is. Yeah, most recently. Honestly, I have a Zoom H1 and an AT822. It's an Audio-Technica microphone, and it's discontinued. They are, I feel, they may not be the cleanest microphones for stereo. In fact, they're definitely not the cleanest mics for stereo. But to have a point-and-shoot solution where you want to capture a space and capture everybody in that space and have a very nice image that sounds good on both headphones and speakers, even at two or three times the price, you can't do much better than an ATA-22. If you can find one. Noise. If you can find one. <laughs> yeah. So if you do, and you want one, and you find one, good luck. Keep it, because they're hard to find. But that's what I have for the super portable interview stuff. And I have a set of sound professionals, BMC3, quasi-binaural mics, and a few other things. But in terms of the let's be up and recording somebody within less than a minute kind of thing... Just the uh, H1 and the AT822. Okay. Other things for bigger stuff, but sure. Yeah. Well, it's got to be portable too. You're traveling. Great sound, certainly. So, hope you are the musician of the group. So, well, Patrick is too. But yeah, my studio, I guess, if you want to call it that, is also a bedroom, a long and narrow bedroom on a sec in a second story apartment. Not the same, of course. Yeah, that, that I'm not in familiar. New York City. Wait, get yeah. out of my apartment. <laughs> Well, you have to get out of mine. Wait, you're in mine. Yeah. Anyway. Whoops. 
So I have a desk, but it's really not used for desk. I mean, it's just, it's a stand. It has speakers on it. It has the Mac mini and it has a mic stand. The only treated quote unquote part of my room is where the microphone is at the moment. It's inside of a cardboard box with foam inside the box. And so that is how I get away with sounding like I'm cooler than I am because otherwise, like Patrick, I have the same problem. <laughs> there's a part of my room there's just no hope for at all. It Especially it if rings. you're not there. Yeah. Oh, wait. <laughs> That's true. And of course, I decided to put a soundbar in that very part of the room, but it's the only outside wall. <laughs> so, but I have a keyboard stand right next to my desk uh, with two keyboards on it. One that didn't work until I got a power supply for it, thanks to Patrick, unknowingly. The bottom part of the stand has alternating keyboards. Sometimes it has one or two. But that's basically my studio. So music. Let's talk a little bit about how these themes for Cheryl Talk over time have come about. Patrick, I know that you've worked with uh, Andre Louis. Is that correct? For some of it? Yeah, the last Serotalk theme that I actually had a hand in producing was done in collaboration with myself and Andre. We basically sat down, uh, we took about seven, eight hours out of a day, which might seem a bit excessive, but it was fine details. It was, I want to model this off of this, but I don't want it to sound so close that it's so obvious, you know, because some of the themes that we've used have been cookie cutter, technically, themes. If you know where to find them, you can, you can get them. Go for it. I didn't want to do that. I wanted something that was done in-house that, you know, says this is ours. This is, you know, in-house. This is Sarah Talk. Nobody else has this. And with that idea in mind, I uh, kind of came out with an outline. I spoke to Andre about it, and he's like, yeah, okay, I can do this. And he recorded it. I uh, mixed it. I went over it with a fine-tooth comb. I changed uh, some of the arrangement just a little bit and, you know, made it overall just kind of fatter than it was when I got it. And that takes a significantly longer time than probably a lot of people realize just for less mm-hmm. than a minute and a half of audio. Yeah. Eight hours of a day for something that is partially oh, covered by voiceover. Oh, that was just the recording over. session. There was, there was some time after that, too. Right. Well, and I wanted to pick up on that point, what some people came to recognize as the SPN sound. And I know that you guys hate that reference because it's not... A signature per se because it's sound that exists and existed elsewhere but i think arguably you know it could be said that this group was the one who set the standard for a clean clear sound for blindness related podcasts would would the two of you agree with that yeah i agree with that the sound though is just the result of doing everything we've felt necessary to take all these people through the years in their different environments with their different equipment and make them sound the same. Make them sound as good as they can, put them in the same space, and make that space and their dialogue as cohesive as possible. That was actually a big deal for me because when we went from, you know, when the, the early days of Talk, when they were actually using Skype, and, well, Skype has this awesome way of coloring the sound so that basically everybody sounds the same. Unless something extreme happens. Yeah, least common denominator. Yeah, so when that went away, I'm like, wait, nobody sounds like anybody else. I mean, obviously voices are different, but the environments are totally different. The microphones are different. It's like we have to 
you know, make this come together so that it doesn't sound like we have three people in their individual little boxes that have no cohesion talking to who knows who. Like Derek said, that's pretty much where the uh, sound that you know today was kind of built, how it was built. And plus, if you take software, which removes noise, which removes fans that could be on in the background, which removes electronic noises generated (laughs) by noisier equipment, things like that, you kind of put everybody in a vacuum. And it doesn't really sound natural to have people talking to you from little vacuums. So that glue was also a means of compensating for that artifact. So yeah, that's all the SPN sound really is. Actually, there's kind of an interesting story about that because Derek mentioned, you know, having everybody in a vacuum. So uh, one of the things that I did when I, you know, I did a podcast, I think I might have done one podcast like that. And I'm like, that just sounds weird. So I put a little bit of reverb way back in the background. You have to listen for it, but it's there and you you go, okay, they're in a room or something. It's not so dull and dead clinical. And uh, there was one episode right around the time when the iPhone, I think it was the iPhone 4S came out, where it was a little bit louder than I had originally intended it to be. And there was a bug in the way the audio system worked that was corrected, I think, the uh, next OS over whatever operating system it was at the time. I guess it was probably iOS 5, the original iOS 5. And uh, Mike Calvo was listening to whatever episode this was on his shiny new iPhone 4S. And he's like, everybody sounds like they're in a bathroom. Why does everyone sound like they're in a bathroom? And that was because the way the image collapsed, what he was hearing was mostly the reverb. And so, whoops, but that's, uh, <laughs> yep, no, hey, that's, that can happen sometimes. The iPhone 4S speakers don't play stereo real well. Apparently there's an, an imbalance problem, more volume on the right side than on the left, and that causes some distortion. It seems like one of those things that you would have, I would have thought someone would have noticed and perhaps fixed earlier on. Yeah, and we're not sure if this is a hardware or a software thing. Nobody has said either way, but we got bitten by this bug, interestingly. I don't have a 4S. Uh, but uh, Mr. Calvo does have one, and he was listening to one of our podcasts from iBlink Radio, and he calls me up and he says, what is wrong with this? It sounds like you guys are recording in the lavatory, if you will. And <laughs> we weren't, but it sounded like we had stepped into a public restroom and were all echoey and stuff as he played this podcast over the phone to me. And then we discovered, uh, we saw the article that said, yes, this is, in fact, a bug. Mm -hmm. And it was reinforced because when I came on the scene, I'm like, okay, so let's see. As the sound stands for Sarah Talk, I'm going to reconstruct it for triple click because these are totally different people in totally different environments. So I can't know what I want to just, you know, take the same settings of the same plugins or whatever. Right, it wouldn't work anyway for different people. No. Uh-uh. That's another thing. We we do actually put a great deal of effort in tailoring the individual processing for each person. It's not just a throw it on and it works. Mm-mm. No, you get customized effects chains processing if you're on one of these podcasts we edit, that's for sure. But I sort of listen to the Sarah talk and I'm like, well, they're definitely in a room. Okie dokie. They will be hanging out in this room. Let's put some coffee on and <laughs> have a good old time. And so... Mike had two podcasts to listen to, which had that problem. And so we both got the call. 
And that was my first podcast. So I start out with a call. It's like, so what'd you, what's with people in the bathroom? <laughs> I thought it sounded pretty good too. Okay. Right. Oh, well. Hmm. Yep. So walk me through the process of a typical podcast. And I know that what is considered typical is going to vary from team to team, different dynamics and whatnot. But on any given episode, all the hosts know is that they show up. You hope that everyone has a similar microphone that will sound well because there is only so much you can do to polish people, right? But you get this group together, record for an hour, hour and a half. Not all of that is going to make it out to the public. Give me the panoramic view of what you do because I understand that for, say, a minute of audio, of finished audio, could take a long time to make it sound the way it does. Depends on how bad something is. The very first thing that I do is noise reduction, if it's needed. Make anything that doesn't need to be there for each track not be there. And the reason this happens first is because when you start stacking processing, when you put compressors and EQs and exciters on people, any noise that exists is going to be magnified by a factor of a lot, in theory. So make that go away first. Derek? So far, we're pretty much synced up. Noise reduction yep. first. Mm -hmm. So noise reduction first. Mm -hmm. And then if we don't have, let's say it's somebody we've edited before. We have track templates for everybody. So at that point, it's okay. This person is on this podcast. Let's throw it on this track template that has all the customized stuff already there. And for me, the very first thing in the processing chain is a gate. Then it gets complicated. But uh, <laughs> So the layman's version. <laughs> the layman's version is that everybody is put under a microscope to the ridiculous point of insanity. Some people would say, why don't you, it's throwaway. Why don't you just, you know, put it out and there it is. Well, you know. It's the way I handle that particular question, and I've gotten it before, is there are things that annoy me. If they annoy me, they will annoy someone else, and I don't want that. So I will make it listenable to me. My standards are maybe a little higher than some people's, and sometimes I take that to a ridiculous degree for things that some people might not think matters all that much, but that's just how I am. And my thought is if somebody's going to pay me to do work, then I'm going to make it as good as it can be, oh, that whatever too. it is. They can do it. That too. And they can do what they want with it. It's theirs. But the problem with the microscope approach is that you edit out issues you don't know you have. I guarantee you that, um, well, Patrick, uh, is probably gonna, you're going to take this one and edit it. But I guarantee you, despite all the efforts that I'm making, uh, you're probably going to find lots and lots of fun little issues. doesn't matter that I'm sitting in front of the stuff that I'm in front of under the conditions, you're going to find problems with it. I would find problems with Same it. Same here. There are currently planes outside making noises. I have to make those go away on my recording. Yeah, so. <laughs> I got to edit myself as well mm -hmm. as anybody else. We're not impervious to our own sort of scrutiny. <laughs> nope. So then, again, it depends on the person. What else do they need? Sometimes they've had to call people. I, I hate to say this, but you need to re-record that because of any number of other reasons. Sometimes people interrupt each other because there's a... The internet's the internet. Everything's delayed. You're a victim of delay. It happens. So you have to take somebody's comment and slide it back and forward in time a little bit and line it up. and then Yeah, and sometimes the final product has bits of conversation that, well, didn't actually exist in real life, you know, because someone said something that someone else stepped on, and you might not have heard that because they were completely buried. Well, that was a really cool concept, and, you know, let's isolate that. Let's put it somewhere else. Oh, the whole conversation just changed. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Yep. That's happened plenty of times. And some people will, um, they, well, because, I mean, people are different. Every, I mean, how, because they, yeah. And eventually they get going. 
Mm-hmm. So there's that aspect of editing certain people. And how do you deal with that? How do you, do you, of course, then that's more of an artistic decision, not necessarily an engineering decision. And there's some of that that comes into play. Do you sort of refine who they are or do you sculpt them into what they could be? And that, again, depends on the person. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it... uh Sounds just more natural to let it be. Sometimes it just takes away from the experience. And sometimes it's like, wow, I can turn this person into a radio star. And they mm-hmm. love it. Okay, yep. I will be on that. And I do. And um, he does. And that is, without going too technical and too like crazy. I know things on Triple Click Home. <laughs> <laughs> I always find it fascinating when I get a draft and my recollection of what it sounded like in the recording sounds a lot more interesting in the uh, post-production. So just the way that you tweak the uhs and uhs and, you know, clearing of the throat. You know, speaking of that, I did a special one time. There was someone, I'm not going to mention what show it was or the person involved, but there was one. <laughs> no, I'm not, because that, be, that would be bad. That person might be listening. But uh, there was a special that I did for a show at one point in time over the last four and a half years that literally just by removing nothing but uhs and ums got eight minutes shorter. Never mind the rest of the editing. <laughs> so, yeah. There was an episode of Triple Click Home that only Jamie heard. It was called Voice Over Off. <laughs> and it was basically every, it was the inverted of, of what, and supposed to keeping stuff, it was keeping what you would normally take out. And um, <laughs> I can see why it's called Voice Over Off then. It was uh, 10 minutes of raw audio, and Voice Over Off lasted for three and a half minutes. So that was, I'm like, here, have this. So he was amused. Nobody has been, at least in my experience, particularly dramatic or offended by our dissection of their audio. If they have... Sorry about that. Yeah, pretty much, because that's what we do. Well, you both have mentioned the uh, what you've coined as the red light syndrome, right? Where something psychological changes oh, yeah. when, you, <laughs> when you go to record. When something magical happens when the record button is on. And this happens to me if, you know, you're being recorded then, you know, sometimes your words come out a little more stilted. Sometimes you're trying to think ahead of yourself and, you know, long pauses happen. And uh, that's, yeah, it, again, that's every person's different. Some people are way, way, way better about that than others. It's just kind of a thing. So for anyone who is aspiring to do audio editing, let's start with that. I want to get to podcasting, but for audio editing other than enrolling in the course which is fantastic i'm taking it myself at the moment what is your best piece of advice starting advice we should say don't do too much at once don't try to immediately go this is what i want to do i want to do this now this is the thing don't get ahead of yourself learn the basics start your way up learn things that you don't necessarily think you need because you will probably find uses for them No matter how insignificant something seems at the time, you'll go, oh, like three years later, that thing that I learned that was completely useless now makes a whole lot of sense in this application, whatever it is. You'll find algebra useful. Oh, God. But it's Mm -hmm. true. You actually will. Some of that junk comes in handy. It's sad. I never thought I'd say it. But my high school algebra teacher was right. It happens. Pay attention in algebra. (laughs) But I would say even farther back than that, just listen. What does that sound like? Was that natural? What sounds different on the radio? Oh, yeah. Listen to NPR. Yeah. That's a great one. Listen to what they do on NPR. Everything sounds pretty smooth. It sounds, you know, polished, unless it's, you know, something that isn't particularly supposed to. There are times where that has to happen. But, you know, it's like, well, okay, 
surely people aren't necessarily all the time on the ball like that. I mean, people are people. Us and ums happen and, you know. You know happens. You know, <laughs> yeah, you know <laughs> happens a lot more than it probably should in life. And it's like, well, okay, how did they get from that point to that point? Especially if you happen to, in whatever circumstance you're in, if you happen to have something that says, okay, this is the original, this is how it came out. And of course, you know, reality would dictate that most of the things people hear have been edited already. And another thing is, can you tell it's been edited? If you can tell it's been edited and it's not supposed to sound like it's been edited, then something's not right. Like if you hear a breath and, you know, something cuts off in the middle of that breath and I'll just make that edit very intentional right there. So you can hear, you know, I'm talking right at the end of that breath. That's not natural. That happens. Oh, the no breathing thing. Anybody ever talk for five minutes and never breathe? Mm -hmm, That too. Oh, here's another one. The double breath. Ever heard oh, that mistake? Yes, the double yeah. breath. Where somebody edits, okay, I'm going to use that breath and then they'll come back in and when they talk on a different part of the thing. Okay, we need to use that breath because they're about to talk and you forget that the breath number one is there. So, so blah, 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 blah happens. You yep. Know. Yeah, I forgot about that one. Mm-hmm. Another piece of magic that I'm intrigued by is when you take syllables from one word that was said correctly at one point in the audio. And so I'll give you an example. You know, I mispronounced Hope's name. I, I called her Povenmire, and it's Povenmire, right? Right. Or did, or did I switch mm-hmm. it around? Nope, you're right. Nope, you're right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta double check yourself there. And so Derek, you know, is trying to find, have I ever said the word Amazon, or for example, you know, Podcast. where can I get that ah sound? And it happens probably more often than I know. And so... If you think of audio editing like editing a document, you know, you can just move this word to there. But the minute detail that goes into making this happen, I don't think people realize. And so I'm I'm assuming that is what, you know, could be a 60-minute podcast for the listener actually took hours to put together. Oh, I've spent easily 8, 10, 12 hours on one of these things. Mm -hmm. Right. Syllable thing's fun, though. Patrick and I have had so much fun creating there was a sarah talk where jamie didn't say the number he forgot and you sort of concatenated him into saying that it was like one f- yeah it was something um, with a six it was it. a special that we did and um it fell on the date where sarah talk 116 would have happened if they actually did that podcast and uh i made him say welcome to sarah talk podcast 116 from bits and pieces of other things and jamie heard that and he was like well what, what, what? But i never said that <laughs> yeah it scares me i have actually. a breaths folder if people are sort of stumbling all over their words, and I know they can be made to sound more articulate at the expense of the cadence. In other words, their rhythm, how they speak, when they speak, their pauses, their phrasing, you know. And they exist because sometimes I want to edit something and the timing would be right, but it's not natural because they don't breathe anymore and that's bad because they're people that stop breathing usually die so we we gotta we gotta keep them breathing Mm -hmm. so we actually have little directories of clips of filler that get reused very interesting hope i want to turn our attention to podcasting because as a newer person on staff you haven't developed the kind of ear fatigue that i think patrick and derek must surely have developed you know from listening to people over and over again if you had to give someone advice on podcasting what would that be? Try, if you can, if you know what you're going to be talking about. Try to do your research. If you're going to be talking about, say, a news story or whatever it is, try to do your research and don't decide, oh my gosh, 10 minutes or five minutes before you're going to talk about something. Let 
me pull up an article and sort of, or let me pull up my notes that I made or started to make, actually know what you're talking about so that you can sort of be articulate without reading the words that you're supposed to be studying, basically. A good example, I do the What's Up podcast, and I have to prepare a lot because, believe it or not, even though it just says like, well, what's out for the week? It's more than that. You know, I have to read book descriptions, find out what books, find out what they're about, and actually try to put some of my own energy into talking about the books instead of, um, in this book, this person, the New York Times bestseller says this. You can read that exactly from the internet. And so I guess add your own sort of spark and your own sort of personality, if you can, to what it is you're talking about and what it is you're doing. And people will actually find you probably a lot more engaging. I've had to learn that as well. I mean, it's like, oh, okay, well, this person really seems to find that interesting or be passionate about that. So what else do they like? And they might even want to know more about you. Even when you work in a team, I mean, it's just human nature, right? That one or two people will end up doing the bulk of the work to collect stories, compile the show notes. And I think visually, people use a variety of methods. You know, they color code their scripts so that people know when to pick up and when to drop off. We don't have that luxury recording blind, you know? Right. And so I know for Sarah talking, you know, we all used brow displays to kind of keep it quiet because in my case, I have leaky headphones that drive Patrick crazy. That aside though, I mean, it's just when you go beyond the audio editing, it, it, it's an um, interesting way how you choreograph it to make it sound good. It's true. I have a braille display and I actually will read in advance if I have something I've never seen before and I have to just record and read. I will read a couple lines in advance and then try to remember them and record them because the braille display, while it's super useful, the pins make noises and you don't want the pins in the podcast. Yeah, because then it would be a pin cast and then it'd be right. bad and you don't want that. <laughs> and the patient, certainly. Uh, we had an episode not long ago, which was titled, It Happened Again. And no one asked what the meaning behind that was, but it happened again, happened because we had to re-record after recording for something like an hour and a half. And starting from square one, because there were technical difficulties, you know. And what do you do? It's almost nine o'clock. We're going to be here past 10, you know, but but you do that. Yeah, it sounded a lot better the second time around Absolutely. because everybody actually had a pretty good idea <laughs> of what was going on. So it was annoying at the time, but it turned out for the best. I agree. Hope, looking ahead, you know, obviously there are some changes going on at SPN and um, with the SAMnet community in general. What do you hope to accomplish in the near future to the extent that we can project? There's already a lot of community interaction, but I really hope that there can be some more focused things. Like there is a book club forum already. Maybe there could be a live chats. Sometimes those do happen. But maybe a movie night every week or every couple of weeks or a once a month sort of fireside chat where people just come and they talk and they could either talk about a topic they especially want to or they just come and talk and actually talk to the people that they interact with or that maybe they don't interact with on an as regular basis. Just sort of keep the community a community. Yeah, and I know sometimes there's a risk of using that word to the point that it becomes a litany, you know, community, community, community. Yeah. But in this case, I think it really has been the community that has made Sarah talk 
what it is. Different shows came into being because people wanted to hear that. And uh, I think we are at a point where it's being done elsewhere. And so should we be that Me Too factor that we frankly want to stay away from? One thing that I think I, I would like to challenge this team with is uh, doing some audio dramas, you know, and how I do would we... love to do that. That would be so much fun. That would be amazing. Yeah, because I think it'd be interesting, you know, to kind of put out a call for people to audition and uh, put together an entire team, you know, writers and uh, directors and really push because I think despite all the work that we've talked about, you know, with editing the podcasts, I think you guys have a lot more in there that we aren't seeing because the podcast, you know, like you mentioned earlier, Derek, can be kind of a throwaway thing. You know, I, I think with the possible exception of uh, the real world fitness, you know, which has a lot of shelf life given the content. Yes, definitely. You know, I like that podcast. Apple News will be old in a month. <laughs> Sometimes before it records. Sometimes yeah. before uh-huh, it records. Yeah, exactly. yeah, it's, uh, uh, exactly. Which is a pain, you know, because it sounds fresh, but then after you go production and That's you right. try to stick to a consistent schedule. It's yeah. out of the hot studio. There happened. have been times where things have recorded and by the time it was produced, it was completely irrelevant. It's like, oh, this new thing showed up that made everything that everyone said. But, you know, it takes a couple of days to turn around a podcast of that magnitude. And by the time it happens, well... Mm, that's unfortunate. Didn't somebody on that Android show do an app review for something that had updated itself out of yes, relevance? Yes, that happened more than once. Okay. So that's that's a thing. Things change and they change fast. So, yeah. yeah that was just kind of the nature, well, is the nature of Android still, right? Oh, mobile platforms in general. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go around the table here and get some final thoughts from all you guys. Hope, let's start with you. Any um, where regarding audio maybe in particular, but looking out to SPN in general, which I think you bring an interesting perspective because you were a listener for a long time. I'm assuming you were a listener. Oh, yeah. Did you guys make that assumption? No, no, you're right. A lot of things have, I guess, their time. I don't think that this means that everything is dead. I think that it's just moving forward in another direction. I think we can build on this. I think there's a chance and there's still lots and lots to look forward to, as it were. I really think the audio drama idea is a good one. It would involve the community. Again, I use that word again, but it would involve everyone. And I think everyone likes to feel like they're needed somehow. And I think that that's an integral part of what makes things like this work. People like to know that they're appreciated for whatever they can do or not do. Yeah, I mean, I think you you make an interesting point. I, I'm thinking for some random reason of things like some of the sitcoms, you know, like Saved by the Bell, Boy Meets World, shows that, shows. you know, some of us grew yeah. up with. Yes. But even in the shows, they change, you know, as they grow up and um, the tone changes a little bit. Uh, Boy Meets World, you know, and, and it starts with them in elementary school and they grow up and, and ultimately they're in college yep. and whatever. And I guess they're back with... Mr. Feeney, though, he was still <laughs> there. Was constant, was. Somehow, yeah. he just managed to... <laughs> Although, Saved by the Bell, the college years should never have happened. Wasn't he also the principal in The Simpsons? Really? Was. No. Skinner? Really? Go <laughs> 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 research this. <laughs> All right. Resources at serotalk.com. <laughs> Derek, what about you? I think um, Hope and Joe summed it up perfectly. The fact is... 
when I was told that there were going to be some serious changes in SPN, I was kind of annoyed. Everything started up and it was looking great and things were happening and numbers were up and I was comfortable and life was cool. And then I get the call. We were having to do the stuff. And I thought about it and I'm like, you know, they're right. There are a lot of resources to get Apple News. There are a lot of ways to read about Android and other mobile platforms. There are a lot of people who are taking some tips and some tricks from SPN and other organizations and, you know, learning from the sources we even learned from and are doing good work. If we're going to be at all remotely innovative and maximize our resources, we got to find a place that isn't filled and fill that gap. There are a lot of places that do need to be filled, believe it or not. And those are where we want to go. Real World Fitness and What's Up are two examples because it's kind of convenient to know that there's one resource that gives you kind of an idea of what's up on all these other places. That's why it is the podcast that answers its own question. Real World Fitness is awesome because Bill knows all these people and that's cool, but he brings the voices and the insight of these people plus his own insight and talent to the listeners. And that brings together a community of people. I said community. He's a motivator and that's positive. And that's way more useful and way more meaningful than tech podcasts. I beg to differ about them being useful because I think that tech podcasts have their place. I just think that it's, again, a niche that needs to be filled. I think. And again, there's replay value. Yes. If you make something that's still awesome when you play it 10 years later, you got something. Yeah. Going back to almost full circle, that's what the snowman did back in the day. He, he did something that you can still listen to. He did some of this stuff in 1999. It's now 2015. You can still listen to it and go, wow, that's still cool. That's not, you know, something you go, oh, that's a week ago. Oh, boring. Right? And it's the timeless stuff, you know, as a listener that I like to hear over and over and over again, you know. And I'd love to be a part of editing and producing that kind of thing. And I think we can at SPN. Now, Patrick, you have a slightly different perspective because your role has always been taking the content that you're given and making it sound good. So certainly any any thoughts on SPN in general, but in particular where audio is concerned. Well... I am all about working with interesting things and what that is at any given time, I guess, changes. But, uh, you know, for me, it's like, okay, here we are, another podcast. uh, Let's do this. And okay, we're done with this. And I, you know, I forget half the stuff it's, you know, before it's done. Not that any of it's bad necessarily. It's just, oh, it's another podcast. I've just edited another podcast. Okay. And then people come back and say, well, you know, on that specific show, when that happened, like, I don't remember that. Oh, I, yeah, I guess I did edit that one. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's, again, where it kind of falls back into the replay value of things for me. If it's interesting at the time and it can stay that way, then that's cool. Honestly, it gives me more motivation to work on things. If it's something that, well, I'm not going to be, you know, the narcissistic person and say, if it's something I care about. And if it's interesting to the degree that it can, let's see, I guess what's the best word to say this, the best way to say this, I guess, if it's interesting to the point where it can fill a gap, maybe a wider audience that wasn't necessarily previously considered, and or if it has more room for fun things. I'm all for fun things. Absolutely. In terms of production value, it's fine to do 
something that just basically needs straight out edits and put a couple of elements here and there, that's easy enough to do. But if I can actually do some creative content every now and then, that makes things more interesting and therefore adds more value, then that's something that uh, I'm definitely all up for. It's the moments when you make something and you listen to it and then you play it back and you play it back again and it's just you, so it's okay if you have a little self-love mm-hmm. moment. It's like, I did that. That was cool. And then, oh, yeah. And then, sometimes, yeah. and then sometimes that happens. It's like, wait, now that I've heard this 12 times, I don't like it anymore. Let's see how I can make this cooler. Oh, there we go. Now I got it. And then you listen for another 12 and you're like, yep, mm-hmm, okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yes, that does happen. I promise. Because undoubtedly there will be people listening that want to tap into your guys' talent. You do freelance work, yes? All of you? Indeed. And so what is the best way for people to get in touch with you guys? Derek and I are on Twitter. That's a nice, easy way to get in contact with us. I'm uh, Boris in a box. It's B-O-R-R-I-S in a box. And I'm DGL1984. I am Music of Hope, all one word. I'm also on Facebook, and there are various ways to get in touch with me there. Very awesome. For my part, I'll say that I have had the least amount of time working with all of you. I've certainly heard your work for several years now, but have only had the privilege of working directly with you since December. And um, this change is uh, it's going to take some getting used to for me. Certainly, I can now listen to or read technology without filing stuff away. I can just read it for what it is and actually enjoy it because I think that's one byproduct of podcasting is that you kind of stop leisure and, you know, how do we make... Oh, true. (laughs) Yeah, that's another thing. If you don't enjoy what you're doing, how can you expect anyone else to? That's a big yeah. thing. Yeah, nine times out of ten, when you try to infuse something with something you're not feeling, it's pretty transparent. Right. Yeah. And I think we're kind of at that point. It's hard to admit, you know, especially when you kind of taking the baton from a previous team and um, pushing forward and trying to make something new happen. And uh, I think, you know, our numbers didn't go down. I think we shifted audiences there. But... My point being, though, that it's a fascinating team to work with. I'm very excited about what's ahead. And there you have it, a rare look behind the scenes to the team that makes SPN sound freaking awesome. I'll be honest, I don't know what SPN will sound like moving forward, but I think if this episode has taught us anything, it is that we have the best collection of audio talent there is to be had, and whatever we produce in the future will be worth listening to. So please don't go far. We should be back here shortly. In the meantime, if you have any feedback about our podcasts, our blog, anything across SPN, please do send us an email, resources at serotalk.com. Send us an iReport via the iBlink Radio app across the various platforms. Or hop on over to Twitter, send us a tweet at serotalk. We do read every message, every email, listen to all your voicemails, and take all your feedback into account. For the Sarah Talk Podcast Network, this has been Joe Orozco. Thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.